there is a phrase that a lot of us grew up very familiar with. Um, most of us probably heard this phrase as a child growing up, um, and it would, it would change the entire day after that. You would hear this phrase, and then the rest of the day would be completely different for you. And if you thought you were a brave kid, if you thought you were courageous, um, this phrase would strike fear deep into your heart. Uh, you'd be going along on your day, things would be great, um, and then your mom would drop this one on you. Wait till your father gets home. Oh man, I heard that a lot when I was a kid. I don't know why, but it just was one of those things. The thought of your dad coming home, it just changed your mood. There was one thing that could do that for you. Oh, I better, I'm, I'm on a line here. I better shape up. Maybe if I do really good things for the rest of the day, she will forget that I was so bad earlier, and then uh, dad won't have to be so mean to me. But just the presence of your dad, just the presence of whatever figure that was in your life that was coming home to lay down the law, to bring justice, to fight for your mom or whoever it was, to say, you know what, you're out of line, you're not doing the things you're supposed to do. That changed everything. What if that happened when we showed up? What if our very presence in a room, our very presence in a community, our very place in this world caused the whole thing to change? And all of a sudden, wait till he shows up. Wait till she shows up. Wait till the church gets here. Wait till Jesus comes back. What if people looked at us the same way? What if just that idea could change people's worlds? I'm not talking about the possibility of punishment. I'm not talking about, well, wait till Jesus gets here. He's going to clean up the act. He's going to clean everything up. I'm not talking about, well, wait till the Christians show up and they lay all their rules on us and they change the whole place here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the possibility of changed lives. I'm talking about the fact that when we walk into a room, when you walk into a room and your family is there, or your coworkers are there, or people in your school, or wherever it might be that you're doing your shopping, or you're living, what if we show up and we bring that presence of God with us everywhere we go? And then people look at us and they say, oh boy, here she comes. Something is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. Someone is going to get loved. Somebody's world is going to change because you showed up. And you showed up here today because your life was changed at some point or someone had a conversation with you at some point and you thought, you know what? That does sound better to me. That does sound a life like I want to live. We're talking about being a presence for people that leads others to Jesus, that leads others to relationship. 
Now, this has been preached one way for a number of years, a long, long time. I'm going to preach it slightly different this morning because I believe there needs to be a change in the way we create relationships with people. There needs to be a change in the way that we help people understand a relationship with Jesus changes their lives. A relationship with me does not change your life. Well, it might, but it's not going to be the way that Jesus changes your life. You're going to be constantly wondering where this guy is because he's always late. You're going to be listening to bad jokes all the time. It's not going to be great for you. But a relationship with me leads you to a deeper relationship with God, a deeper relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm a pastor of a church. You are people in a church. We do the same thing because we lead people to have a relationship with Jesus. I help on Sundays and you help Monday through Saturday. We do the same thing. We welcome people in, we have a relationship with them, and we make the presence of Jesus known to them. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. This is the last Sunday in this message, in this series called Deep Trouble. And we've been laying out this vision, this idea of how can we become a presence in the lives of other people? When I grew up, the church was all about impacting the world. Let's do something big for the world. Let's go and, and build uh, wells. Let's go fix roofs. And last week, I got a little bit cynical about that. I'm going to be honest. I, I went a, a, a little bit cynical too far. But my point was, those are good things to do. There are really healthy and, and vibrant and faithful churches and people that believe in Jesus like we do who are doing those things. And we need more people to do those things. What I want to press us to do, though, is to not think about helping people during one week of the year where we come together and we say, this is serve week or this is love week or this is what we are doing together to help the community this one time. I want us to think big picture. I want us to think long term. I want us to think like Paul thought in the New Testament because this is the way that he lived his life inside the community, inside a living, breathing, organic place with people that had needs. And he didn't just drop in one time and then that was it. He moved on to the next one. Paul was involved in the lives of the people in Thessaloniki, in Philippi, in uh, uh, Ephesus, all of these regions, Antioch, Smyrna, Berea, all these places that Paul stopped and built these churches. He was praying for them constantly, writing them letters constantly, telling them, you stay faithful to what you are doing. So for the past four weeks uh, and plus a little bit more, we focused on this section in Acts 17 and the events that lead up to that verse. Paul and Silas have shown up in the city of Thessaloniki. And just like every other place they went, things were shook up in Thessaloniki. They started telling people about Jesus and the city goes bananas. They just cannot stand the message of Jesus. Let me read through that section for us here. 
After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Ampollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who who I am proclaiming to you. As some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous And with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests, and they are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor saying that there is another king named Jesus. And the people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken Baal from Jason and the others, they let them go. Our focus has been on Acts 17.6. These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. This uh, This was the reputation of Paul and Silas. They had gone to all of these cities and they came to Thessalonica and just their mere presence threw the city into an uproar. This is what people who wanted Paul and Silas gone said about them. They meant it in an accusation, but it was really a compliment to them. Hey, we're doing something right. We're preaching Christ as we go through the the countryside and these people are responding and some of them hate him and some of them love him. And this is the reputation that Paul and Silas as believers in Christ had fostered across the region. They're either going to hate us or they're going to love us. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get a little bit too much in the middle. And I think the community around us looks at us and they're like, "Mm, okay, whatever, another church, that's fine. That's fine. But when Paul and Silas came into a community... We either hate them or we love them. Our churches have lost that passion. They've lost that fire. They've lost that reputation to do those things. These people knew that Paul and Silas were going to turn their city upside down. And so our focus on this series has been, what if people thought that about us? What if people in our community knew we went to this church and things were about to change? What if people turned to Jesus because we're here? What if we were known as a people who turned the world upside down? And so I started to say, you know what? Let's not focus on the world right now. Let's not not think about the world right now. Let's think about our community. How can we become a church that has the reputation of turning our community upside down. And I said, you know what? Maybe even that's too big of a step right now. Let's do something different. Let's focus on our families. Let's focus on the people that we see day to day to day to day. How can we change their world? How can we turn their world upside down? Let's forget about all those big things. Because I think sometimes when we come into a church and we start looking at the big things and say, oh, well, they're impacting the world. Oh, they want to change the community. What can I do? I'm just one person. So let's start simple. You are one person, so let's start with one person. 
How can we change one person's life? How can we turn one person's world upside down? What if this area, what if that one person, what if this community, what if our nation was radically changed because we were here? And so throughout this series, we've been thinking uh, about these four questions. The first question was, are we a threat to turn our community upside down? Now, this is a vision series, so we're looking forward. We're looking beyond what we see now. The answer is no, we're not a threat to do that now. That's just the reality of things. But this is vision, so we're looking down the road. We're looking past all of these things that we see now, and this is where we want to be. We ask these questions that get us there. We talked about three things that will make us a threat, though, that we treat nobodies as somebodies. We challenge what people think the church is, and we completely sell out to see people's lives changed. That was our first week. Week two, we talked about, are the people of our community talking about our impact? Again, the answer is no. No, not yet. Because we're just not big enough. We're just not there yet for people to notice that are outside of our influence to start talking about us. And we talked about what will lead us to make an impact in our community. We need to love our community, like really love it, not just love being a part of it. Oh, I love Fenton. It's so nice here. We need to actually care for the people in our community, care about them like Jesus cared about people in communities. And to love the community, we need to find out what God is doing here. We need to ask questions to people. We need to ask them what the church can do for them without any judgment, without any conclusions. We just need to ask people to open themselves up. And it's super simple to do. You can have a conversation with someone about what we can do for you. It's a little bit harder to say, hey, will you come to my church with me? That's a hard sell sometimes. It's a lot easier to open the door by saying, what can my church do for you? Where are you struggling right now? Where are you hurting? How can we come alongside and help you? Question three was, are we doing anything that will disturb our community? Are we shaking up those who have no use for Jesus? Again, the answer is no. The impact just isn't there, but it's vision. So we're looking down the road and we're saying, how can we disturb our community? When we talked about we stand for Jesus, we stand united for Jesus, and we stand for Jesus alone. That itself right there, when in the face of all of this stuff, we stand for Jesus alone, united, together. That disturbs people. And so our last question is, is our presence leading people to make eternal decisions? Paul and Silas taught in the synagogue every Sunday, well, the Sabbath. And they only needed to do it three times before the city was in an uproar and people started to believe. They started to build that relationship with the community. And Paul and Silas took every opportunity to do what they were called to do. Whenever there were people around, they used their time wisely. They explained who Jesus was. Some listened and some didn't, but they were always looking for ways to talk about Jesus. And whenever Paul and Silas were present, there was a chance that people would trust Jesus. Can the same be said about us? 
Can the same be said about our lives, about the way that we live, about the way that we interact with people? That every interaction with people is an opportunity to show them who Jesus is. Now, this is going to mix you up just a little bit. Because sometimes we don't even need to mention Jesus' name to do that. What people know about us, what they know to be true about us, is that we follow Jesus. And if that's the only thing that they ever learn about us, then all of our actions after that moment are going to reflect that. And so we have opportunities in all these interactions to be the presence of Christ in the life of someone around you, someone that you interact with. That's why it's not always the pastor's job to grow a church. Do you see how this works? Because I'm not going to come into contact with all the people that you come in contact with. I can't go to your offices and I can't go to your schools and I can't go to all of those places that you visit. You are the hands and feet of God. You are the Paul in this story because you are going to visit and you're going to travel and you're going to go to all of these places that I can't go, that no one else is called to go to. But you are in a unique spot to do that. You get to be the presence of Christ in someone's life that needs the presence of Christ. Because there are people in your life, there are people in your world, there are people in your little sphere of influence that don't know Christ, and you are Christ for them. Their presence meant things were going to be different from now on. People heard about Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then they were left to make a decision. Trust Jesus or no. You know how Christianity grew through the first centuries? Rodney Stark wrote this amazing book called The Rise of Christianity. Christianity shouldn't be a thing anymore. It really shouldn't. It was 12 guys. Their leader dies, and it should die with it. There shouldn't be Christianity today. But something happened in that community. Something happened with those 12. Because Christianity grew to 500 and 5,000, and by the year 300, there was about 30,000 believers in this region. And by the time Constantine gets on the throne and becomes the national religion, it more than triples in size. But you know what caused it? It was ordinary people living out their ordinary lives, doing things that were different from the world. Because we wanted to care for people that were sick. And others would just say, no, they're sick, send them away. And Jesus showed us a way to go to the sick and care for them. And we take care of the widows and we take care of the people that can't take care of themselves. We did things differently. And that's how Christianity survived. Because the world looked at the way that Christians were living and they said, boy, that is a better way to do things. That can make a community better if we start taking care of the people around us, if we love our enemies and pray for those people. 
Paul and Silas could not make those decisions for them, though. But if you were around Paul and Silas, you would eventually have to make a decision. Do people feel that about your life as well? When you're interacting with people, when you're with your friends who don't believe, who don't go anywhere or do anything, or that's a separate part of your life. Do they feel like they need to make a decision? Do they feel like they need to come to some sort of conclusion? Or do they just kick that can down the road? Do they say, that's good for you, but not for me? That's a decision in itself. There's so much middle of the road in Christianity. There's so much of, well, I'll just be a fence sitter. No one's going to push me on it. I'm not going to ask any questions. They can do their thing but I'm just going to be myself. Here's the thing. I'm sure people noticed something different about Paul and Silas. They probably walked with confidence, had an air that was different about them, but nobody would know why they were different until they opened their mouth. Nobody would know that they were different or why they were different. And it was the same for Jesus. Of course, Jesus was different but people would not have known how until he told them. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. If people are going to know about Jesus, someone has to verbally tell them about Jesus. If our presence is going to lead people to make a decision for Jesus, we have to verbalize who Jesus is and what he has done. Telling people about Jesus is the toughest thing you can do. I get it. I, I understand. It's a tough thing to have a conversation. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about Michigan football. We can sit on a bench at the mall and talk about uh, anyone with kids that are running wild. But try and talk to people about Jesus, and it's a really hard thing to do. The thinking on this has always been to share your story. And perhaps because we learn this from Paul. Paul shares about who he was. He was saved on the road to Damascus through an encounter with Jesus. It became his story. Here's who I was and here's what Jesus did for me. And here's how Jesus can change your life. The problem is, and this is where we're going to change tactics just a little bit. The problem is not everyone feels the way Paul feels. The problem is not everyone has a story like Paul. The problem is not everyone has hurt in their life. And it's true, Jesus was sought out by hurting people. But we're not just going after hurting people. We're going after our friends and our family. And sometimes they don't have stories like that. Sometimes they just have regular, normal, ordinary lives where they just go along and along and along. And sometimes I think that the sell for Jesus is a little bit counterintuitive. Oh, I'm sorry, you had something really bad happen to you. Come and meet Jesus. He's going to make things all better for you. And then the problem is when things are all better, I don't need Jesus anymore. So that really kind of doesn't work anymore. And then, here's another way we do it. Tell people about their sins. You know what? You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Boom, I got them, right? The 
problem is not everyone thinks that what they do is sin. They're living their lives. They're just having a good time. I'm just doing the things I want to do. I'm having fun. That's really not a sin to do those things. I can do what I want. It's fine. Nothing bad has happened to me. So when you try and sell the story this way, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. No, I'm not. I'm not a sinner. I don't have anything wrong with me. I feel pretty darn good about myself, actually. So we got to switch our tactics a little bit. We got to learn from what Paul was doing. We got to learn from the way that he was living his life. That when we want to open our mouth about Jesus, <laughs> we can't do it with fire and an earthquake and the wind. We do it with a soft and gentle voice. We do it at a moment that people are ready to hear because if we come down with the thunder and the lightning, we've closed the door. We've closed the conversation. We've closed that moment that we have with them. Paul didn't just get to stand in front of a gathering in the temple just because they thought he was a good-looking guy. He said, hey, we got some time to fill. Why don't you come and share this polarizing figure with us? Why don't you tell us about the guy that got killed over there in Jerusalem? Wouldn't, that would be a nice little story for us. That'll perk us up. I call this the Paul principle. Paul was active in his community. Paul was there seven days a week. It just wasn't a Sunday thing for him. Do you know what Paul did in the town squares on Monday through Saturday? He made sales. He was a sower. And so people would come to the town square and they would buy sails for their fishing boats from Paul. And the community got to know him and he could share these little moments of life with them. He didn't do it just because he was standing in front of a group of people like this and saying, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. He did it in the Monday through the Saturday when they came to him and they said, what do you have for me? And he says, I have this sale, but I also have this love and this grace and this amazing relationship. We can think of another Paul who practiced this. Paul Revere was a silversmith and a patriot during the American Revolution. He was skilled at crafting fine silverware, including his famous Revere bowls. Paul played an active role in his community. The community knew him. They came to him when they needed things crafted. The community trusted him. Paul had what I call equity in the community. And this all happened before his famous midnight ride. On the night of April 18, 1775, Paul rode on horseback to warn the American militia of British troops' movements. His midnight ride made became a symbol of American patriotism. His iconic warning, the British are coming, became legendary. But see, Paul Revere couldn't warn Boston unless he had already built up an equity in the community. He couldn't shout a warning of troops coming. Your lives are in danger. The troops are coming. The British are here. If it was anybody else, if it was his brother Steve... It wouldn't have happened. They would have just like, that's crazy old Steve. He's just riding his horse around the countryside. 
And they would have went back to, you know, whatever they did back in that day. But Paul had built up an equity in the community, and they had started to see him as someone who could be trusted. So when Paul Revere ran through your neighborhood saying the British are coming, you trusted him. That's not a conversation that he gets to have. Hi, I'm Paul. The British are coming. It's nice to meet you. That's not the, I wouldn't open with that, Paul. That's kind of a bad thing to do. He can't warn people if people don't trust him. And this is where we lay the groundwork in our relationships. This is where we begin those conversations with people. This is how we start to open doors and change lives. As we come alongside someone and we don't want anything from them, we just want to love them really well. We want to be a presence in their life at any moment. Because we want people to start to trust us. And until they trust us, we can't have those big, messy, ugly conversations with them. We can have little ones about what love means and what community means. But I believe that creating community gives us more equity. We want to create a listening community here. We want to create a community that listens first and then talks. Because I believe that's the way to create this equity, this trust, this intentional community with the people around us. And I think there are three ways that we can do this. And they're really simple. And they all start with the word listen. Because that's our hallmark. That's what we want to be known as, as a listening community. First, we want to listen. We want to open ourselves up. So the first thing we want to do is we want to listen for. We want to listen for needs and opportunities to serve people. Listen, ministry is really simple. It's two things. Ministry is needs and names. Do I know your name and do I know what you need? And if you can answer those questions about another person, you're doing ministry with them. You're creating intentional community with them when you know their name and you know what they need. And the most impressive thing about those relationships is they're super simple. You don't have to remember great big stories because we don't have time to listen to great big stories. I want to know your name and I, I want to know what you need. How can I help you now? It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen from God. I want to help you now, right now, with where we're at. Knowing the answer to both of these questions creates a deeper community. So listen for names, listen for needs, listen for opportunities to serve. The next one is listen to. Listen to people as if they have value. This is a shocking thing. This is a disturbing thing in our community. Do you know why social media doesn't work well? It's because we can't listen on social media. We have one-way conversations. I post my thing, and you post your thing, and then I post my thing, and we don't listen to one another. But what if we started to treat people as if they had worth? What if every conversation shows people the value that they have? What if every interaction with people that we have reveals to them how much they are loved by God and therefore how much they are loved by me? and you. 
And someone that you have a, a conversation with, they might be politically different than you. They might be gay. They might have a different worldview than you. Paul wants us to love them well. Because if you shut them down, if you say, nope, I'm sorry, you need Jesus, you need to fix everything in your life, I don't agree with what you're doing, you are a sinner, you're an evil person, wow, you closed a lot of doors in that one sentence. We want to be winsome to the world. We want to open doors. We want the flowers to bloom in front of us. And so when we have conversations, how do we reveal how much people are worth to God and the way that we interact with them, the language that we use, the words that we use, the love that we show? So listen to people as if they have value, as if they have worth. They matter to Jesus, so they should matter to you. And the last one is listen with. Listen with gentleness and openness. We said it twice already in 1 Kings and in Psalms. The voice of God brings peace. The voice of God is gentle. It's a whisper. And so when you try and talk over God, when you try and yell louder than God, because that's what these people need, <laughs> What makes you think that you need to? God spoke to Elijah in a whisper, so why are you yelling so much? Do you think that they're going to listen to you more than they listen to Jesus or listen to Paul or listen to someone else in their life just because you talk so loud? Listen with gentleness and with openness. The number one thing people who are spiritually open but not attached are seeking is someone to listen without judgment. So when we have conversations with people, be open. Don't be quick to judge, but be slow. Because every time you judge, every time you take something that someone is doing wrong, in your opinion, you're creating labels on them now. You're taking all of that and you're internalizing it. But these are needs that people have. People are not the problem. They're the prize. They're who Jesus loves. People with problems is who Jesus loves. The next two things that they're looking for in Christians are people who are honest about their doubts and people that don't force them to conclusions. This is the winsome way that we win the world this is how we change communities, by being people who are open, by being people who are honest about how we feel, that, yeah, I wake up and have doubts. I'm a pastor of a church, and I still have doubts. And that's okay, because you can't have faith without doubts. Faith is not certainty in God. Faith is, okay, I have all these doubts. That's a great point. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. That's a great point. But despite all of those claims that the world has on my life, I still believe. And that's faith. It's not certainty. So to create a culture of listening, to create a listening community in this church, we've got to do these three things well. We've got to listen for our needs. 
We've got to listen to people as if we value them. And we have to listen with openness. And this helps us to gain trust. It helps us to gain equity. So that when it comes time, when that door opens, when we finally see a foothold to gain, we can say, listen, I just want to tell you that my life with Jesus is pretty awesome. But it's also really, really difficult. Is it okay if I talk to you a little bit about Jesus? Is it okay if I share a little bit about how he's worked in my life? And it's okay. It's okay if we don't want to do that. But thanks for being open to it anyway. We need to create trust. We need to create equity. We need to listen well. Well. 